I just kind of wish for all my white people that I know and love that they would all kind of go on this journey and we're all on different yeah. levels of it. But, you know, we were talking also that the reactions of folks, maybe certain generations or who are like, well, you know, I marched in the 60s. I, right. I don't have to do any of this right. anymore. And racism is not here anymore. And we're grown past that. Or another one is like a, you know, it'll die out with with an older generation. That's just right. an older generation type of thinking. It isn't. Right. It is it'll not. grow right back in those young minds if you don't stop it. Exactly. Yeah. It does, it's a type of thinking, not one racist person. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast, Relationships. Let's talk about it. I'm Prebo Toplitsky. I'm a psychotherapist specializing in relationship issues. Everybody's got one partners, family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, relationships. Let's talk about it. Father, Father, we don't need to escalate. You see, war is not the answer. For only love can conquer hate. You know we've got to find a way to bring some love in here today. Yeah. Picket lines and picket signs. Don't punish me with brutality. Oh, talk to me so you can see what's going on. Oh, what's going on? Yeah, what's going on? Mm, what's going on? Yeah, man. Sing it, Marvin. <laughs> I wish I could sing it like Marvin. What is going on? What the hell is going on? Yeah, folks, as I am recording this today, streets are on fire. People are out on the streets. The murder and killing of a black man, George Floyd, by the hands of a police and many others in the past is instigating people to want to change. It's a heavy time in America. It sure is. Viruses are all over the place. We can feel it. You know, I grew up in uh, Detroit. I was about four years old during the 1967 race riot that we had in Detroit. I can say police race riot that we had in Detroit. And I remember being outside, feeling the tension at four years old. A summer night, we lived just outside of the city limits. And I remember looking at the glowing in the, in the night sky. And here we are, uh, 53 years later, and uh, we're still having these issues. There's still oppression. African Americans are oppressed. There is still killings by police to innocent, unarmed black people. We need a change. We all know this. We need to wake up. So I thought it was apropos to bring out a unpublished conversation that I had from my archives with Mana Femoylan McLeod. I had a conversation with Mana last year on women working in male-dominated workplaces. So we had a conversation about uh, racial biases and whiteness 
And I know I've been hearing lately of people saying, hey, we're white people, shut up and let black people talk. I get that viewpoint. I understand that. I just think everybody should be talking about this issue. All of us, white, black, white, white, black, black, all of us talking about this issue, about racial biases and the oppression. So we explored some aspects of being two white people, one white man from Detroit, and Mana is a white woman from Holland. We exchanged stories about growing up in those two different countries, how Mana is really exploring the understanding of her whiteness through education and answering deep questions about this privilege. So let me tell you a little bit more about Mana. Uh, Mana is a mother, a natural builder, a carpenter, a conflict mediator at her village, Earth Haven Echo Village in Black Mountain, North Carolina since 2007, and she is a social activist. She also served on the staff of the Southeast Wise Women's Herbal Conference since 2009 and has worked as a student advisor for Gaia University, and she is now a life coach. And Mana is committed to witnessing her whiteness as a process to become a less fragile white woman. And yeah, today my heart is heavy, and I know it is for many, many of you. I can totally understand the rage and the anger of our black community with the years and years of oppression and police brutality and murderings and, and inequalities in so many areas of our society. And I know we need to give voice to it and be heard, let equality reign. We need to get some freaking adults in leadership that know how to have empathy and compassion to ease this pain and to show more compassion. Here's a conversation of exploring racial biases. Mother, 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 there's too many of you crying. Brother, 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 there's far too many of you dying. Enjoy this conversation. We know we've got to find a way to bring some loving here today. Mm -hmm. All right. Thanks for coming, Mana. Yeah. Yeah, this is sweet. I'm, I'm really enjoying that. Earlier, we were talking more about the subject that we spoke to. I think it was in last spring when you mm -hmm. were over here. And I was impressed and excited about your venture of educating yourself around race relation issues and how that pertains to how you walk in the world yourself as a white European American. Can I call you a European, European American? American? Yeah, I'd like to take that on. Yeah, yeah I can yeah. say yes to that. Yeah, because you're Def a dual citizenship. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I'm an immigrant to this country. I came here 15 years ago. And so I was born Dutch and grew up in Holland until I was about 27. Then I met an American and ended up here. So that's been about 15 years now. And so, yeah, I'm actually generational European American. Yeah. Mm. So what sparked your interest to dive into aspects of race relation issues? 
Yeah, first off, I'm just so glad that it did spark. And, you know, I'm 42 right now, and it sparked about six years ago, which, oh gosh, I just think it's way late to really delve in mm. deep. You know, you, there's a lot to say for that, but I'm glad that I am where I am now. Um, yeah, it got sparked uh, by the job that I had then, and they did a one-on-one -on -one racism, racial diversity class at the Southeast Vice Women's Herbal Conference about six years ago. And yeah, my wig was just blown blown off. I was like, for real? Hmm. This uh, this is a different cookie. I didn't. I just honestly have to admit, I didn't didn't realize a lot of the things that were brought to the table. And it was an awesome day. We did a whole day. It was only women. It's a women led company. The trainer was Kristen Wilson, awesome trainer, a white woman. So yeah, I did that first double take when I ran into the room, and I was like, Was it all white women that went? It was all white women. Uh -huh. Yeah, at the time, the first one, yes. And I believe it was set up that way so that us white women didn't have to feel so triggered for mm. the first time to really let go some of those uh, first layers of the onion to really just bounce. It was really a great day and it was led from a perspective of racial diversity, but also from a perspective of what does it mean to be white? And so that was the first time that I realized that there is such a thing as being white. So that is just, a bunch of BS, right? I'm like 37, <laughs> and I find out that I'm white. There's so, no, you didn't wear, there was a lot of mirrors or anything. Right, there, right, right? exactly. Yeah, like, you know, I'm kind of pinkish, you know, uh -huh. kind of, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, that was just a real eye opener, right? When you find out that you're, that you have a color, that you're white. And of course, I learned then that it's a construct, that it's a, that it's a made up story, uh, historically, for pretty much for white people to, to keep maintaining uh, white dominance to stay a dominant to create another race that's the black race and this happened gosh historically you know i'd have to probably look that up but hundreds of years ago the creation of the white race so yeah i was pretty blown away by that concept of yeah of course i have a race and, and that, that wasn't in your awareness growing up in around amsterdam well, it's different to see diff people of different color and to stop realizing that they are quote unquote other right. and to realize that I'm white, that we're all holding pieces of this puzzle. So yeah, I grew up in an all really dominantly white uh, small town north of Amsterdam. Gosh, yeah, I can count on one hand uh, the diverse people in my primary school, mm. in my high school, which was in Amsterdam. It was a pretty privileged Montessori high school. Uh, you know, socially, economically, I was probably middle class. And there was maybe 10 people of color in my the, entire school of 1,500 kids. What, what years is this, the 80s? This is, gosh, I, I graduated from high school in 95, 96. Okay. So early 90s. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had one Moroccan friend, and I never stopped to wonder what her life might be like. I had no, I had no idea that that could have been a different experience than mine. Yeah. Mm, wow. And you grew up in Detroit, right? Yeah, so mine was a little different mm -hmm. in that. I mean, I was born in Detroit, and then we moved a little bit to the outer city limits, but it was still a very diverse culture. Like my middle school, high school was about 50% black, 50% white, and I spoke to you about the diversification mm -hmm. around the Middle Eastern population that Detroit has. So I lived in a very uh, multi-ethnic culture background, and so I was very much aware of it, but it was much more integrated because I think I gravitated a lot towards more of, I don't wanna say the black culture, but 
a lot of my black friends, I just I just hung around with more. One, I told right. you earlier, because I love to dance. I love black mm-hmm. music. And and so that was really easy to integrate in that and, and sports and the the laughter of the of the black culture. So most of my my friends were of ethnic diversity. And so I never really questioned. I, mean, I would question my, my whiteness, but just from joking around with right. my black friends, of mm-hmm. uh, we were different in that sense. But because we were close, that's the way. That's the way that we became close was joking about some of the differences. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. And we were talking earlier that that idea that well, we have black, you know, relatives or black friends, and that we must not be racist. And right. you know, I call myself out or I call myself in constantly on that too, where. You know, now that I'm, you know, I read my sixth book, you know, on this topic, so I'm just book learned, but there is, there is this concept, where we're all living in a racist society. This is a, the idea of it being an institutional racism. So it's a problem that we're all dealing with, unfortunately. And even, you know, the one-on-one friendships and the relationships that are one-on-one that are really open and loving and cross-cultural, those are amazing. And that's not where the problem lies. It's in that's that right. bigger concept of the white people and the black people and the experience that that comes with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that is an interesting concept to think like that's not where the problem lies and yet that's where a lot of the understanding kind of lies also because I mm-hmm. think that having those relationships makes me more interested in understanding the broader aspect of institutional ra- racism because it brings it really home of the people that I love and care about. I don't want them to feel discriminated about. Right. The same sense it makes, as we were talking about earlier, makes me wonder, how do I walk around with my white privilege? Yeah. Like, I don't think about or I don't get the kind of anxiety that I'm, I'm imagining that black people get when they get pulled over by a cop. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And we were talking about that, gave you that example of a friend, but that story where uh, there's a wedding going on. And this was such a striking example. And I'd never really considered this until I've read some some material on what it's like for a black person to see a cop car. If I see a cop car, you know, that's I don't blink at it twice, even if I get pulled over, like you're saying. And so this my friend, my, one of my best friends went to a, a, a multiracial wedding. And so the wedding party had to move from one venue to the next. They all got in their cars. They all made a big old caravan to get to this location. And so there's black drivers and white drivers in this caravan. And at one point, and they're trying to kind of stick together, you know, in that caravan. So a cop car, you know, kind of wiggles its way into that caravan so they couldn't stick together. And, you know, the white people kind of didn't blink at it. And the cop car kind of moved out and nothing happened. And they get to their venue and the black people that were drivers were like, oh, that was really stressful and really hard. The white people totally had no idea, but also the white folk that were driving were speeding. So my friend Sarah, she's like, well, you know, the black person is trying to keep up with the caravan so they don't miss staying together because they want to get to the venue. They don't know where it is. And at the same time, it's like, hey, white person, slow down because my experience here is different than yours. If I speed and the cop sees me speeding, it's a different cookie than if he sees you speeding. So, and then she told me, and I was like, that's such a good example of why I just don't know. You know, I have very few black friends and I just don't know what their experience is every day, constantly. They internalize everything they do completely different and everything other people do very different than me. And, okay, another thing that that was was really blown away in the past couple of years that, you know, and I think we're both really self, you know, when we notice something in our own patterns, then we want to do something about it, right? Like, this Mm -hmm. is not right. If I can do something, wow, this is a big blind spot here. 
So when I started reading things like, as long as white people don't change this dynamic of white supremacy, it's really hard to change it for black people on their own. It's impossible to change it for black people on their own. And I'm just saying black people, but people of color go in that. Because white people have the privilege to completely never have to think about what another person's experience is like, a black person's experience is like. So if white people don't make the change, if I don't make a change for my black friend, then it's... If you don't make the change for yourself for the black friend, right? Exactly. As You're so to, right. As opposed to you helping them make yes. a change to cope with their stress or whatever yep. it is. Right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's another one of those, right? Where yeah. you're like, oh, let me just help. I'll, I'll yeah. help my black friend here with right. my white savior complex. Right. Yeah, exactly. No, it's right. What we do on the inside, right? Like mm. examining what is even what does white even mean being white? So there's a couple of things that are like seen as white. And when I started seeing that, like reading about it, so funny with my white friends, are like, oh God, I'm so white. This is so white what I'm doing right now, you know? Like, okay, one of the things is uh, being on time, timeliness and effectiveness and making good use of time and definitely never being late, you know? Or, and I was blown away. Does not everybody value what I value? Tum -tum, you know, that's a big, you know, it just, because I saw myself as, the norm hmm. and that's what i've been taught right you know the one one of these on the journey when you're on the journey towards dismantling white supremacy it's really healthy not to just tear yourself down about all the things the things you might have done wrong you know that's not helpful there's no need for guilt or shame because then you're pretty much not being helpful to anybody but there is a good point to look at yourself along the road but like i was saying about having been taught that i am the norm that white people are the norm and black people around us, people of color around us are other, quote unquote. That's kind of the story we're getting from media, from mm -hmm. our magazines, from our schools. It's everywhere. And so that concept of always being taught that you're the norm. So yeah, what you were saying earlier that you want to be a better friend, pretty much really be aware of what you're saying and what you're doing. So one of those onion layers to peel away is how and where did, was I taught that I am the norm, right. first off, and now that I know that I was taught this ridiculous stuff. And not just the norm, maybe even better. Yeah. Maybe even that, where the white supremacy comes in, the, totally. yeah, the eliteness mm -hmm. of that. Yeah, and the eliteness in thinking that, well, the norm is what everybody needs to do. So if white people need to do it, then black people need to do it, and right. everybody needs to behave the same way. Well, guess what? That's just silly. Mm-hmm. And so then to be a better friend is to be, become really aware of what am I saying? How am I acting out of my whiteness often, uh, unconsciously? And that's the most painful stuff, right? With friends who, who are people of color who, who love you and know you, but they also kind of know that you say some weird stuff sometimes and they don't call you out on it all the time. Mm -hmm. And yeah. they're just kind of like getting little cuts every time. Right. And I don't even know that I do that because I'm, flipping unconscious about it. Ah, so it bothers me when I found that out, like I'm doing this unconscious BS. I'm like, okay, yeah. well, let me start reading some books and start there. Yeah. And so that's another good thing. Instead of talking to my black friends about, oh, I just found out that I'm white. <laughs> <laughs> and like, can you please explain this to me? How this, how this works? It's like, no, that's a big old no, no. Just go hang out with your white friends, talk to your white friends, read your white books and figure out what it means to be white and how to become less white. Mm. Yeah, how to become less white, not necessarily how to soothe black people or exactly. become black. 
And I, I think I have a, I don't want to say a, a challenging issue with that, but you know, growing up in, in the atmosphere that I grew mm-hmm. up in, and at times w- the way that I also speak or when I get really relaxed and comfortable around people of color because I grew up with it, I don't feel like I'm acting black or, right. or, you know, or people say to me, oh, where are you from? Or in some people, when they listen to my podcast, I even had a couple of people say, wow, when I saw your picture, I was surprised that you were white. Mm-hmm. And so I have an interesting dynamic when it comes to even the naturalness of that. Like I'm not trying to act that way, but I smoothly come into it in some right. way. So my mistakes I think are more natural mistakes then they are, I don't even think about that. I don't even think about, am I a white person trying to relate to black people and so forth. I do remember, I told you earlier that I remember the reverse when I was in high school and a good buddy of mine, we went to a party in downtown Detroit and we didn't know many people. And as we were walking down to, we call them basement parties because mm-hmm. they were just bopping down there. When you go down there, it's hot as hell and <laughs> you can't hardly see, but we were the only white people. And when we got to actually the door to get in, you know, we really felt the reverse discrimination around that. It's like, what the hell are you white boys doing here? And we had somebody that could vouch for us. Somebody was there say, hey, no, 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 I know these guys, they're fine, they're cool. And we came downstairs and people were looking at us and kind of just really vibing us out. But then once we started dancing with the music, everybody started looking at us, smiling, laughing, and within about a half hour, we were blending right in. But I I understand a little bit of that difference when I had the experience of recognizing, oh shit, I'm actually white, going to an all black party in downtown Detroit, that could be an issue. Right. Right, exactly, and then for and you know you noticed it. You were the only white, yeah. you know, one of the few white faces in a black crowd. How must it feel like to be one of the few black faces in a white crowd, right? right? right. And that is that's that's kind of what's been going on so much. Just talking earlier too about right, you know, like the how white our media is and how white our all our institutions are, and just this little thing that I just felt like sharing. From, what's the book? Yeah, so the book's called White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo. And uh, back where I live in Earth Haven Eco Village here right next door, uh, we have a Witnessing Whiteness book club and kind of a, you know, support group for white people uh, (laughs) going on this journey together. It's been really, really helpful for the past two years. Uh, So we support each other in being less white. Uh, and we read some different books, and then we bring it into the group. And one of this book is White Fragility. It's awesome. Uh, another book that I would really recommend, it was one of the first books I read, was uh, Witnessing Whiteness by Shelley Tucklock. That's a really good starter book, too. So in White Fragility, you know, they say just a little list of how white this whole business is. You know, we're talking mostly about the U.S., and I'm not even from the U.S., but I'm definitely from a racist country, too. We, we all grow up in this white supremacy culture yeah you dutch oh i know right talk about it i know i mean you know it's easier for me to study the u.s racism because (laughs) it's farther away from me and then i noticed that i'm like oh gosh i better look into my own darn history and it's bad oh yeah it's like we're the starters honestly of slavery and Mm. we're in there so you know like 10 richest americans 100 percent white u.s congress 90 percent white u.s governors 96 percent white and blah, 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 keep going, you know. It's full-time college professors, 84% white, and so forth. You know, it's what, it, what it's got to be like. Yeah, professional professional coaches, like I know in, in, right? in football, I think there's only one or two black coaches right now. Right. Yeah. 
and a lot of players are black. Mm-hmm. So you're getting represented by white people all the time, wherever you know, wherever you go, and it's not the correct representation. Mm-hmm. And I just feel really. But what was it like and, growing up? Did you ever did you ever date a black guy, or did you have friends that dated any black people? You know, I had a one one night stand with a black guy, so that doesn't count. <laughs> 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 you know, I had one Moroccan friend. I had. No, I didn't know. I did not have black friends growing up. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, now I mean, this is a big word to use, but looking back, I was real segregated where I grew up. And that's painful to have to look at, like actually having to go back to where I grew up, uh, this white town. And Amsterdam is definitely really multicultural, but mostly still white. So about, I immigrated about 15 years ago when I was in high school. We always knew where the dividing lines were. This neighborhood's black. This town's white. It was was really... it a big deal if you saw a black and white person together? Oh, Did... yeah. And so was yeah. there a prejudice around that? I wouldn't know if it was prejudice. You know, it wasn't like any outward, like verbal abuse about that. But it was, it would be, it would be noticed. Mm-hmm. Um, and mainly how I grew up. And so this is not, I am known not a spokesperson for the Dutch people, obviously, but where I grew up was middle class, white town, and it would stick out. Yeah, the Arabic person, Arabic person, or, you know, Moroccan, Turkish. We had a big group of workers come in in the 70s, mostly uh, Arabic, Moroccan, and Turkish. And so... Um, from that, there was already a real cultural divide. Of That was one of the first waves of uh, Muslim people coming into Holland. And I'm kind of sad, but I kind of missed the children's, their children growing up are now mm. about tw- in their 20s. And right now, going back to Holland, I kind of miss that because now it's a much more integrated, um, multicultural um, yeah, experience than when right. I grew up. Right, yeah. It always amazed me, you know, growing up white, Jewish background that the Jewish ethnic culture that was persecuted for so many years Mm -hmm. still was prejudiced against other ethnic groups. It just blew my mind that, and it still does that aspect of blacks and Jews or Arabs and Asians that they're prejudiced against each other. Right. And and not all, of course, when we talk about just the, the institutionalization of, of ethnic prejudice to other ethnic groups it just blows my mind when the ones that are suppressed also suppress each other right yeah yeah and that's something i learned about you know i think it's called colorism or Mm. or shadism right now shadism shadism is that the word i like that yeah so so that whites i'm just going to put my little fingers here but it's it's seen as the norm or the highest you can achieve you know i'm sitting here with my fingers because that's just an awful thing to have to say in this white supremacy thinking and so that the, the darker you get, the, sh- the more shades away right. from that quote unquote again, perfect color. Mm-hmm. Um, Yet the white people love to go get tans. Yeah, exactly. Yet the white people <laughs> love to go get tans. I love it. Exactly. It's also messed I up. I used to come, we used to go to Florida every year growing up and I used to come back tan and my black friends used to start to say, yeah, that's right. You're just trying to be more <laughs> like us. You that's can right. dance, but you're trying to be more like us. That's right. And it is so interesting. It's like my, I think my parents had prejudice in them and- mm-hmm. Yeah, I grew up with the the word Schwarze, you know, oh, and, uh-huh. which I guess from the German standpoint just means black. Uh-huh. I, I remember my great grandmother who is only spoke Yiddish. Yeah, I would hear Schwarze from my parents when it was derogatory towards black people. But my great grandmother one day she said in Yiddish, "Give me my Schwarze coat," 
And I, I remember getting tense, <gasps> right. but then I realized she just meant get the black coat, the, right. not, the, not the blue one, but the black one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that really hit me, that aspect of like just taking that and making that so derogatory. Right. Oh, this reminds mm -hmm. me of this interesting and slightly weird Dutch cultural heritage piece we have around Sinterklaas. You might have read something about this actually uh, in the American news. So 5th of December, Sinterklaas comes. And Sinterklaas is the forerunner of Santa Claus who came here in like the 1900s or so. This, the story and all that comes with it. In Holland, Sinterklaas is a tall white guy with a big old, you know, it's like a saint. It's like a 500-year-old tradition. But white man, the saint, has a black helper called Black Pete, Zwarte Piet. Right? The, right now, if you take that out of its cultural context, you can just throw that thing out. That That's not going to work right now in, in what we know is right. Well, guess what? In Holland, it's a big old fight right now. There's like demonstrations in the street this year. I read about it again. Mm. Where there's the Dutch who want to hold on to their cultural heritage and say, it's just a cultural piece. We want to keep our Zwarte Piet, our Black Piet, which is a black helper to the white man. The white man, you know, okay, I think in the story goes, he gets to give the presents. You know, that's the thing that he gets. He also, in the story goes, he gets to spank the kids if they've been bad. So it's just, oh my God. So here it is, right? Sorry to Pete. So there's demonstrators in the street who say we want to keep it because it's our cultural heritage. And then, of course, there's like the anti-racist activists who are like, are you effing mm -hmm. kidding me? This is not, this cannot exist right now. So they're trying different things. Rainbow Pete's. I don't even know. But if you see pictures of this, you'll recognize it. It's white people getting black-faced, black paint on their face with big old red mouth, big old golden earrings, black hair, wig on, it, can, it is so bad and wrong. Mm. It straight up needs to go and people can't let it go. Mm. Oh, and it reminds me of the story you were telling of running into somebody here in the mountains where we live here in Appalachia who, you know, is probably from this area yeah. from generationally, like what, hundreds of years? Yeah, hundreds of years. And um, I was, he was wearing a Confederate flag t-shirt right. and I was wearing a <clears throat> Detroit t-shirt and First time that we met, it was over whether we could use his barn for packages being delivered. And I could tell that he was a good old boy. And he just looked at me and said, so you a Yankee? <laughs> and I knew what he definitely meant. But I went ahead and threw my own two cents in. And I said, no, nah, I'm not a fucking Yankee. I'm a, I'm a Tiger fan. Right. Which means Detroit Tigers as opposed to New York Yankees. You know, so I throw that in. And he kind of just looked at me, nodded. He goes, ah, all right. And I get it. But I knew that that tension was there, and mm -hmm. I knew that my shackles would be up and a little bit of uh, warning signs coming up. I, I remember voting here in Rutherford County. So I we went there it. too. Yeah, right? Oh my so goodness. So I don't know if you remember, whatever road it is, taking that straight road, there's this huge Confederate flag. Yep. Huge Confederate yep. flag. And I remember snapping a picture of it, sending it over to my boys in Detroit, and they were like, man, holy man. shit. They said, they, you know, they were making jokes like, hey, that, is that the sheriff's house? You know, and I said. Not even. Right. And I mm -mm. said, hey, man, I'm, I'm going to hide my Jewish star. I don't wear a Jewish star, but right. I said it. <laughs> and they came back and like, man, that is so fucked up. And it is. Another one made a joke. Was, oh, I even made a joke. Like, yeah, man, I'm, uh, I was going to get a nose job this morning just before I go over. So we were talking about being able to make those jokes to ourselves. Yeah, yeah you know, that Jewish joke, but the, if it was against me, that's that's wrong. Yeah. But making those jokes was also breaking some of the uncomfortable tension right. that I was feeling at that moment to also share that with my friends who 
could relate to it, show empathy towards me. Yeah, but for sure. it's prevalent. It's prevalent around us. It really constantly. is. Yeah, we were talking about when is a good time to make a make sort of a race heavy joke amongst yeah. your white friends or so. Yeah. And you know, in a way, it's never really a great idea. And so, yeah, I told you about this. You know, quite. I'm doing a lot of quote unquote here with my fingers. Funny event that happened in my house the other day. Me and my friend, she always comes over on Mondays. We eat uh, pasta meatballs with my kiddos. It's great. So she's sharing this story uh, about one of her good friends that she's been friends with with forever, and she just threw out the the term, and then we both just went like, oh, you know. So she said, yeah, you know, we're kind of like, oh, gee. And I knew that wasn't the thing to say for two white girls standing in their kitchen. Even, you know, there's no one necessarily eavesdropping, but we knew enough that we probably shouldn't be saying that. And then I was like, can you give me some background, though? What, what, what is that again? Being so Dutch, you know, I don't always know what the reference is. I just knew it wasn't a white thing to say. Yeah, so she's like, it's original gangster. And it's like, yeah, okay, no, I'm not gonna, I am just, I'm a white cisgender female and I just cannot say original gangster in whatever, however that that doesn't work. And it's so funny because when you were telling me that, I didn't know that that was the background. Right. And I grew up with people calling each other, what up, G? Yeah. And I would call people my good friend Greg, whose name starts with a G, <laughs> I don't know, just calling what up G, and now that I know I'm calling him a gangster, that is, that is not Yeah, right. that's off. You know, the feeling maybe we're both experiencing right now is that like, oh, too bad, we can't say that anymore, you know? <laughs> like, oh, that's a bummer. You know, honestly, if it's just a bummer for us white people, I think we can handle it. You right. know, that's, that's one of those things that I'm feeling like, I wanna be uncomfortable, push me a little bit more, you know, I'm with these books, Reading right. these books and all that. Because our uncomfortableness friends. is yeah. not like life and death nope, that not at other all. people are experiencing if they fuck up exactly. in that way. Exactly. And that's the part I think the education of the of the whiteness is realizing we might feel uncomfortable. It might be politically incorrect, but it's not life and death. Exactly. That's a real challenge that many, many people go through. Yeah, exactly. When I first heard that, like it's life or death and I honestly didn't get it you know so you know that feeling of when you're white and you just don't get it it is a great idea to get a book because it is explained mm -hmm. it just goes through step one through ten or a through z and when you're finished up to z on those beginner books you'll get it and then we can be all talking like this you know we can all be a little bit more aware and a little bit more careful with how we walk mm -hmm. the world and i just kind of wish for all my white people that I know and love that they would all kind of go on this journey and we're all on different yeah. levels of it. But you know, we were talking also that the reactions of folks, maybe certain generations or who were like, well, you know, I marched in the 60s. I, right. I don't have to do any of this right. anymore. And racism yeah. is not here anymore and we're grown past that. Or another one is like, a, you know, it'll die out with, with an older generation. That's just right. an older generation type of thinking. It isn't, right. it it'll not. grow right back in those young minds if you don't stop it. Exactly. Yeah. It is, it's a type of thinking, not one racist person. Mm -hmm. Amen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm fired up about it. Yeah, and it's wonderful to give it the give it attention and give it names so that you know you're having, I'm sure, discussions with your sons, you know, right? about it in many ways. Yeah. And unfortunately, they don't have as much opportunity to yeah. be exposed to it on a day to day living in Asheville, North Carolina. Totally. Um, and that's interesting. Like for me, I think about how more comfortable actually than I am when I go to a city mm -hmm. that's more of color. Yeah. Going around Atlanta or an international airport, I look at my wife going, oh, you know, I just gotta tell you, like this feels better, it feels yeah. good. 
And one reason I'm, I want to go to Detroit soon in the spring, I miss my boys. Yeah. Shout out to you boys. I'm going to get to see you soon. But <laughs> it's also just that comfortableness that also I feel around people of color because I grew up in it. And so that's interesting is I don't feel as comfortable walking around in all city like Asheville, mm-hmm. even though it's comfortable and it's safe and so forth. But there's something about just, uh, I think, how I grew up with humor mm-hmm. and laughter and the diversity and being able to, in my experience, uh, when I walk by black people and I acknowledge, hey man, what's up, what's happening, what's up? And I don't know them, but I do that. I don't do that with a lot of white people. Mm-hmm. And that's also something that I have to be conscious of. Like, why don't I do that? Like, is that my whiteness that I'm around black people? I have to acknowledge them more. Is that like a privilege that I have? Like, hey, I'm cool. I'm a white guy. I'm cool. As opposed to just doing that. I, I think I do that regularly. I'm, a, I'm right. a friendly guy. But there's a more comfortableness that comes around that when I'm back in the city. Yeah. Yeah, I hear that. And, you know, you were speaking to, you know, you don't really feel safe in an all-white crowd. And obviously, it's not like safe, like life or death. But there's a huge piece missing, right? And, like, yeah. we're all one u- human race. Mm. And, you know, that that could lean into, like, we're all the same. And, of course, yeah. we're not having all the same experience, right. clearly. Yeah. But for white people to realize that there just isn't as much growth and it's not as much possibility if there isn't just people of color around and it is something kind of off if it's an all-white neighborhood or an all-white city like what went wrong here you know what happened here and you know that's something you brought up earlier i moved to an all-white rural community 12 years ago and i'm raising my kids in it Mm -hmm. and i'm having to seriously swallow that that reality you know and we slowly have african-american people moving in very slow but again, that's not necessarily, it, it's part of what we would love to see more of, but it is, the goal is for white people to change on the inside. Like, right. why was this started all white? Why is it still all white? What are some of the gates we're keeping closed here for members to join? You know, those are some really serious questions we're asking ourselves yeah. because we're, it was white, it stayed white, and it's still mostly white. Like, what's wrong here? What, what are we doing wrong? Right. So that's also why I'm trying to work my butt off to get aware, like, I don't want this community to just be moving forward all white. And I'm learning it's hard, you know, to change in midstream. It wasn't set up with a black yeah. person in the in the leadership role. So now what are you trying to do? 20 years down the line, it's really hard. And we're finding that out. We're finding that out the hard way. Yeah. And I know people that are listening are probably getting all kinds of ideas here to white, white people talking about it. But there's, there's an essence that this conversation has to take place. You know, yeah. we're just throwing it out as a conversation and not just taking it for advantage of ah, it's somebody else's issue to have or it's going to transform on itself. And so exactly. you and I are not trying to figure out all of these solving of these deep-seated <laughs> issues. But what we're doing no. is we're just putting it to light to also think about, like you said, what does it mean to be kind of white? What is my, my white privilege? I told you a story that always comes up around my father when I was growing up and I lived with my father and we were, I was about 16 and we were both going out on a date. He was single. And, uh, he said to me, so who are you going out with? And I said, with as much of a Mexican accent as I could, I said, Cynthia, Cynthia Guerrero. And he just looked at me and he said, you know, aren't you guys from like different cultural backgrounds and economic backgrounds? And, you know, he was trying to slide in a little bit of his, I don't believe he, you know, yeah, of his of his prejudice that wasn't so blatant. He wasn't an outright bigot at all, but I know how he grew up. 
and just that difference of of uh it was too close to home mm-hmm. you know that i was going out on a date and i remember looking at him just saying hey man that didn't you say that variety is the spice of life and that's mm-hmm. why god made chocolate vanilla and strawberry ice cream i'm just tasting right now i'm just tasting and he quickly like shook his head and he said you're, you're right you're right go, go ahead go have fun and i think that that really shifted my awareness just around one having to stick up for myself and mm-hmm. not hide because i didn't want to hide around my my family or father and and uh not bring home friends and or girls that i was dating they had to deal with that shit and uh they had to really realize I wasn't going to marry a Jewish girl. Sorry, Jewish <laughs> girls out there. I, I don't know. I just, I just didn't gravitate towards, towards Jewish girls. And that I wanted, through my acceptance, they started having more, more acceptance. Mm-hmm. But it was just this awareness about something, even what I consider kind of benign, all of a sudden even got that trigger from him. Right. And with my teaching as a kid back to him from his teaching, we have to pass that down throughout our our families and our generations to really understand what is, I don't want to say right or wrong, but what is being human? What is the essence of you know, shifting and healing this diversity? I remember reading something that in the recent years, it's something like, I'm going to get out my notes here. In the recent years, it's showing that there was a, a poll by NBC and Wall Street Journal, so a mainstream poll 60 to 7 percent of americans believe currently that race relations in the u.s are very bad mm-hmm. and in the u.s one in ten married couples are interracial which is an increase of about 28 percent over the last 10 years and that trend's also reflected in europe and, and australia so it ain't going anywhere mm-hmm. i mean we oh, no. it's it's right in our face right yeah, yeah exactly and if it's so right in our face and i really agree with you then we need to really step up our game as white people because you were saying earlier and that that really wrong, you know, like waiting for some kind of natural change to occur, you know, if we believe in that Darwinian evolution or so, like it will naturally just, you know, we all love each other. So, you know, we'll all come together at some point. It's just has shown so far, actually the opposite happens if white people don't step up because there's no shortage of black people, you know, mentioning this right. and saying like, hey, this is the relationship you know, between the races in America is abysmal. And who are white people to say like, no, racism is past. We solved that in the 60s. It's not on us to say. If a problem is noted, then we really need to step up to the plate. And you see a lot of these um, pictures in media too, like racial diversity. The people that are supposed to take that on are just black people because it's it's their issue, right? That's such a scary thing to say. It's so not. We're keeping it in place. It's It's an issue that's really stuck if we don't move mm-hmm. as white people right. and it's an issue we have to deal both with and in, in very different ways and i think for white people you know it goes pretty deep to to talk about that but we need to really understand what what sort of as a people you know not individually because that's where we get triggered now, individually right. i'm not a racist yeah okay uh well that you know that's debatable still but we could go with that but um you know, as a people, like, what did we do we, we, a couple hundred years ago? And that goes back to where I'm from. You know, I'm, I studied some of Dutch history. It's bad. So if we just gloss over that and go like, ah, oh, that's in the history books, that's, that's past, that's gone. And then, you know, in the United States, it's, it's, uh, it's not really healed. Mm-hmm. It's not at all healed, right. that history of slavery and all, you know, all that transpired since. 
yeah, it's just amazing. You know, we really have to think of that, that deeper healing as white people. You know, how are we going to, how are we going to actually own that our forefathers did that? Right. That's a huge piece, right? That's that nobody really wants to go do that kind of work, but we really do need to do it. Mm, right. Because how are you, if you're just looking at your own life and both of us are kind of people like that, like, you know, self-helpy, coachy, you know, mm-hmm. process geeks. <laughs> yep. So you look at your own life and you see a rotten spot somewhere, you go right to it and you want to mess with it and you want to, you want to heal it. Like, what are my patterns? And so as a, as a group, we need to do the same thing, I feel. It's, it's a similar, it's a macro and microcosm. So if you want to heal your own life, well, then also heal your ancestral piece. That's right, yeah. And that's just, it's huge work, but yeah, really. Of, yeah, exactly. I mean, we hear about, about how much this nation is founded on that, you know, the genocide of, of the Native Americans. And, yeah. And, and didn't the concept of, of police come from right. the black slaves that they would then became these police to go after? Yeah the escaped slaves yeah right? yeah exactly yeah. so i mean many people don't even know that that the, the right. police department was established from that racial aspect right to that. get escaped slaves back to their white owners right, right? yeah yeah exactly that's yeah. super important to know right. like you can wonder like gosh why are black people so scared of police well right. start right there right yeah that's a huge piece and if it's not talked about and so many other you know pieces that we just don't discuss Mm-hmm. We're yeah. really trying to solve the the world's problems here. Yeah. I think we're doing we're doing something. Yeah, and even just that aspect of like one <laughs> one relationship at a time. But as, mm-hmm. as you and I are discussing it, and the part of having those race relationships that are healing within our interpersonal relationships, and then the institutional aspect that we really have to understand. Yeah. But it really does come down to looking at ourselves and how do we walk want to walk in the world? Yeah. How do I see myself and how do I project that onto other people? And what is also being projected onto me? What is the reality mm-hmm. that we're dealing with? And a lot of that just also comes from the aspect of being kind to ourselves of this is, like you said, deeply ingrained that mm-hmm. needs to have attention to transform and shift. Yeah. Yeah. I'm totally with you on that. Cause on this journey, you know, as white people needing to do our work, it's, it is important not to shame each other either. Right. Cause you, you learned early on, you know, we're all on a journey we're all on a different kind of spectrum. So there's no be- better than thou. It's always a hard one for me to say. <laughs> <laughs> Still Dutch is my main language. Is it uh, the TH that message? It's the you? thou and the they. Yeah, the, oh, yeah. TH man. It's rough. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, so yeah, not being mean to each other as white people either. Right. Like, oh, you haven't studied this book yet, and right. you haven't done your work yet. It's it's really helping each other up to come up and to just become a, more aware of like, yeah. hey, let's not use that language. Right. Hey, let's not tell that joke. And that's that calling in that you said. I like that right. expression instead of calling each other out. Calling, calling each, each other, other in, in. Yeah. right? Yeah, you're not just pushing somebody out your out of your community, but you're actually pulling them in closer so we can look at this behavior together because it's all inside of us right Mm -hmm. that's what we're talking about there's no solving a problem if it's outside of us Mm -hmm. like exactly it's in us and and that also gives some hope right if it's only outside of us like what we try to make it racism is far removed from us because we're white but to actually make it like wait a second it's in me now i can actually do something and Mm -hmm. it is way more hopeful for me anyway on my journey when i notice like oh i can adjust some of my white behavior right and that is actually a really great approach to it for me where i have some handholds yeah because you know one of the white things that we do is like oh where can i help what can i do how can i solve this problem by 
tomorrow, 2 p.m., you know, fast. Right. And that's not, this is not one of those. No. Not even. So it is hard to get past that aspect of what we're just human beings and see each other for just human. We got to, can't do that bypass. No, we can't. That racial bypass. It's got to really be understood. And I'm so glad that we had this conversation of just even throwing it out there. And I hope, you know, it sparks some things for people out there to think about on their own. So. Yeah, me too, Prupo. I'm really glad I was here today. Mm -hmm. All right. We'll do it again. Sounds great. Cool. Relationships. Let's talk about it is a production of HeartShare Counseling and Consulting, PC, of Asheville, North Carolina. For more on licensed counselor Prepo Teplitsky, visit heartsharecounseling.com. Theme music by Adi the Monk. This content is intended for informational purposes only, is not a substitute for professional counseling and psychotherapy, medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, and does not constitute medical or other professional advice. Mm-hmm.